0: Hey, Stephen here. The gang is off this week, but we've got plenty of content coming up for you. Later in the week, we're going to have an episode of What It Takes. We'll hear the story of David Crane, the former CEO of NRG, who is one of the most outspoken people in the power business. He's got a great story. And right now, we've got an episode of my other podcast at Green Tech Media, The Interchange. My co-host, Shell Khan, and I are pitting four contenders against each other in a battle royale. Utilities, oil majors, mobility companies, and consumer tech giants. Who will win the crown in an electrified future? If you don't subscribe to The Interchange, go to the show notes right now on your phone and subscribe. We take a very different approach to this show. We gamify a lot of our conversations, challenging each other to think differently about the future of energy. You might actually remember our deep decarbonization draft from last year. We also feature long-form interviews with experts from around the industry who help guide us through the most complicated topics. In fact, this week over at The Interchange, we have an interview with Hal Harvey of Energy Innovations looking at the optimal set of solutions to decarbonize the economy. Cut through the politics and tribalism and have some fun with us as we explore the reality of implementing these solutions. Again, go subscribe right now to The Interchange wherever you get your podcasts. And the gang will be back next week. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Greentech Media. I'm Stephen Lacey, a contributing editor with GTM. Welcome. This week, a battle royale for energy dominance. As the trend toward electrification speeds up, what type of company will dominate the market? The competitors? Utilities, oil and gas majors, mobility providers, and big tech. We're pitting them against each other inside of a voice-activated, electrified cage to see who will emerge as the energy company of the future. I'm joined up in the skybox by my co-host and legendary grudge match commentator, Shale Khan. Shale, how are you feeling about today's matchup?
1: (laughs) I think it's going to be bloody, uh, and I think it's going to be down to the last round.
0: (laughs) Shale is the senior VP of Energy Impact Partners. You know, as a venture capitalist, you've been operating behind the scenes to provide advice to some of our competitors. So we'll see how that influences the match.
1: Yeah, I mean, we should certainly have a caveat at the start that I'm I'm biased in the direction of utilities, both naturally and by virtue of where I work.
0: Indeed. We'll uh, do a little bit more disclosure later. So throughout this episode, we're trying to answer a simple yet extraordinarily complicated question. Who is best positioned to win the long-term power game? Again, we're looking at the following players, electric utilities, oil and gas companies, mobility companies, which includes both automakers and transportation providers like Uber and Lyft, and then technology companies like Amazon, Apple, and Google. So here's how it's going to go. To set up the match, we're going to profile each competitor and look at the evidence for their competitive edge. Then we'll ring the bell and we'll address the following. How might each competitor win? What areas will they be strongest in? What are their weaknesses and what will their dominance look like? We'll finish with some post-match color commentary and make our picks for the winner. So, Shale, over to you to set up the match. Let's talk about what we're seeing that leads us to believe that we're actually going to see these players compete over time. Let's talk about each. So, why don't you kind of dissect utilities first? Sure. Well, utilities are the most
1: obvious ones, right? We're talking about who wants to be in a position to own a big chunk of the electricity value chain in the long term. Utilities, you know, maybe they have a gas business. But apart from that, utilities, for the most part, are basically electricity businesses. They Many of them are vertically integrated still today. You know, we don't have... Um, retail competition in many markets, we don't have competition at the generation level. So those utilities currently um, own the entirety of the electricity value chain, even in places where there is competition, either at the generation level or at the retail level, utilities still own the networks, they they run the lines and wires and keep the grid operating. So, so it's their ad- match to lose. Yeah, exactly. They're the incumbent. There's absolutely no question that they want to stay in this business. It's a good business for them. And they want to ride the wave of transformation and electricity and come out the other end of it stronger than they've ever been.
0: So utilities, of course, are dealing with direct competition today from all sides. And so they are a fierce competitor because of their incumbency, but also probably the most threatened of, of any of these companies. Well, again, if you are the
1: incumbent, then you know, what you've got is new folks trying to enter your space. Utilities are currently the only big players in electricity, with a couple of exceptions that we could talk about later. So certainly they are the ones who have the most to lose. But as we'll talk about, there's there's also a case that they are in the strongest position to, to keep what they've got. What about the oil and gas majors? So oil and gas majors are fascinating in that, as we've talked about many times before, um, They exist on a spectrum, I think, and they're not monolithic, so this isn't true across the board. But certainly there's a class of oil and gas supermajors who have very publicly stated that they believe that long term there's going to be a wave of electrification that is going to mean that the big growth in energy demand and thus in the energy business is going to be in electricity, not in oil and gas and petrochemicals. Um, And so the result of that is that they've, they've started to make investments in this space and, intend to be in the electricity business. Now, there's a few of them that I would say are serious about this based on the actions that they've taken, in particular Shell, Total, Statoil, BP. But Shell is, is the furthest along here and states it the most publicly. They've noted that they want electricity to be the fourth pillar of their business alongside oil and gas and I believe petrochemicals. Um, and they want to be ultimately vertically integrated in that business. So they've been making lots of investments, as we've talked about before, in things at the customer level. And they've been a big player in wholesale markets and at the generation level for a long time, but we have more evidence now in that it's just been reported over the past couple of weeks that Shell is, um, through a partnership with PGGM, which is a big finance company, exploring the acquisition of Aneco, which is a Dutch utility. So this would be the first example that I know of, at least, of an oil and gas company actually purchasing a utility company. So evidence that Shell doesn't just want to be on the customer side, doesn't just want to be on the generation side, but is interested in actually being a full-scale electricity company.
0: The next category is probably the most difficult to define. Automakers, mobility providers, the intersection between the two. How are you thinking about this category? So this one, you know, I don't want to
1: overstate the role that it seems like these companies want to play in electricity, but I will say that there's been some evidence that automakers, as they start to roll out electric vehicle models, are creeping a little bit further into beyond just the vehicle. So the the clear bit of this is EV charging, Right. A lot of the auto OEMs are trying to creep down into the electric vehicle charging business. They want to either be providing the hardware or at least bundling it with the vehicle itself. But there's actually some cases now where there are automakers who are going even a little bit further, trying to provide energy along with the auto or other smart home services that might make the, the um, home more flexible when they end up with an electric vehicle. So examples of this, Tesla is the obvious one, right? Tesla is in the energy business. And when Elon Musk talks about what Tesla is, it's a sustainable energy company. Tesla is one of the largest providers of stationary batteries. They acquired SolarCity, you know, so they're they're obvious, but they're sort of off on an island. In addition to that, you have, um, for example, recently Volkswagen announced that they're creating a new brand called Elli E-L-L-I, that is going to be, their their brand in the power market. Um, And it is starting primarily with electric vehicle charging, everything from residential charging up through public charging. But they talk about also layering in things like renewable energy. Another example that I could give you is um, Audi, which formed a partnership with uh, Arcadia Power, which is one of our portfolio companies at Energy Impact Partners, as well as Amazon. Um, who we'll talk about in a minute, so that when you buy an Audi electric vehicle, you can, along with that vehicle, you can procure renewable energy to power that vehicle. So I think the automakers, um, they think they have a role to play and they're not sure what it is yet. And that's setting aside like the Uber and Lyfts of the world who haven't made big moves, I don't think, yet in the electricity business. But ultimately, you know, their goal is to be the network provider for the majority of vehicle transportation. And if the majority of those vehicles are electric, as they will be, for example, Uber is going all electric in London by 2025, if they end up being all electric, then they control a big source of demand for electricity. Um, And they'll have control over when those things charge and so on. So I think there's a possibility that they start creeping into this market.
0: Right, absolutely. So the two pathways here are partnerships with other energy providers, and some kind of fleet management of electric vehicles that gives you access to all that demand. So the last category are the big tech companies, we're really thinking about Amazon, Google, and Apple here. Um, Make the case for why these tech companies are emerging as a player worth watching.
1: So I think there's been speculation for a long time about Google, especially getting into the energy business. They have, you know, they started procuring renewable energy a long time ago, and then they became um, qualified as a wholesale power marketer in order to do that. Exactly a decade
0: ago, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, it was like 2009, I think.
1: There you go. So that's been talked about for a long time. That's not really what I'm talking about here. I think what we've learned there is that, you know, they're going to be big buyers of energy and they have particular desires about what that energy should look like because they have renewable energy goals and targets and they're going to be very sophisticated about it. But that doesn't mean that they want to be in the power business necessarily. Uh, What I am talking about is at the customer side and this is particularly true of Google and Amazon who are basically fighting for control of the smart home. And we've talked about before how rapidly the smart home is developing through audio control devices and things like that. Um, They want to be the ones who have the customer relationship in the smart home. And the smart home is going to be an enormous source of flexible electricity demand. So you see companies like Amazon, again, partnering with Audi and Arcadia on on both providing uh, energy at when you buy a car but also a smart home bundle so um, you can get things like smart thermostats by the way we've also invested in ecobee which amazon invested in as well um, which is a smart thermostat manufacturer so you know i think that their desire for dominance over the smart home will drive them into a desire for dominance over the smart homes energy consumption
0: So that brings us to a bigger question about how we're defining dominance or success. Dominance for an Amazon and a Google is very different than dominance for a Shell or a Total, which is very different for dominance for a Ford or an Uber. So when we actually start talking about pitting these competitors head to head and we try to pick a winner, what does winning actually mean? Right
1: you know, I guess we don't know how this is going to go in the long term. Do we do we think that any of these new players are going to try to be the nouveau utility in full force, meaning, you know, they want to they're going to want to be vertically integrated from generation through the customer? I don't know. I mean, like I said, with oil and gas, there's some evidence that they may. But I don't think it has to go that far in order for there to be um, a really interesting and dynamic competition over the next decade or two. If you think about the electricity sector in the US, you know, we went through this wave of unbundling in the 90s when we started deregulating, we, we opened the markets up to retail competition, we opened up the generation side to competition, and we stopped, you know, with the, the Enron debacle sort of put everything on halt. So we're partway through that transformation. And that was just opening up parts of the market to competition within this sector, largely. You could make a case that even if uh, these new entrants have no desire to own the lines and wires, ultimately own the transmission distribution infrastructure, even if they don't do that, this still would could be... Um, A big process of unbundling at the retail level and at the generation level, especially as we get to a world where both retail and generation are sort of have to be operated in concert because we have all these intermittent resources that have to be um, managed flexibly and demand is a big part of that, which is all to say that. You know, I think there may not be a single winner here. It may not be that Amazon takes over all of electricity someday, but it doesn't have to go that far in order for it to be like a very big storyline in the electricity market for a long time.
0: That's absolutely right. And we're trying to contextualize this emerging competition in an entertaining way. Uh, but I want to provide a caveat up front. We certainly don't think this is a zero-sum game. So each of these competitors is going to dominate in different ways. And that's what we're here to unpack. But ultimately, we have to pick some kind of winner. So we are going to emerge with our choices for uh, who's going to dominate in an increasingly electrified future. Before we move into that, Shale, do you want to provide Any disclosures given that you are in venture capital? You're working with probably some of the companies that we're going to be talking about.
1: Sure. I mean, that's one area of disclosure that I should offer, which is that some of the companies we've already mentioned, um, Energy Impact Partners is an investor in. That's true of Arcadia Power. It's true of Ecobee. It's probably true of a few more that we're going to mention. I, I think the other disclosure that I should offer is that so Energy Impact Partners, um, we're a venture capital fund that is backed primarily by utilities. We have 14 utility partners. We work really closely with them. So I'm predisposed toward um Understanding the strengths of utilities and and where they can play, so take that into account as I give you my my choice of winner.
0: No disclosures here, folks. Just pure unadulterated grudge match commentary from Stephen Lacey. <laughs> Coming up, the bell rings and the competitors enter their corners of the ring. First, are you a developer trying to cobble together a community solar offering? It can be like a difficult jujitsu match with the bankers. Chances are good you're frustrated by traditional financiers' slow and inflexible offerings. Well, in steps our sponsor, Wonder Capital, to the ring. Wonder is like the Royce Gracie of community solar. Calm, quick, effective, groundbreaking. And Wonder just launched a progressive new community solar offering dedicated to financing projects in ways that other lenders can't match. For example, with Wonder, community solar projects can have up to hundred percent residential offtake. In addition, hefty termination penalties, long-term contracts, and subscriber FICO scores are not required. Head on over to wondercapital.com/gtm to submit your community solar projects today. And of course, Wonder can help you with your commercial solar projects too, providing loan terms within 2 business days. Wonder Capital, powering the commercial solar industry. And welcome to the main event, folks. The cage has been electrified and closed up. The competitors are all in their corners, and we are set for a four-way match between utilities, oil majors, mobility providers, and big tech firms. Who will emerge victorious? So let's tackle the first set of questions. What are the strengths of each opponent, and what area of the market are they going to be strongest in? Shale, let's go back to you for commentary on utilities. What are the strengths of utilities? So utilities are
1: uniquely good at the single most difficult thing in the electricity market, which is running the actual transmission and distribution system. By some accounts that I've heard, um, the electricity grid, in particular the Eastern Interconnect in the US, may be the most complex system ever built by humans. And utilities operate in what I think is actually a pretty challenging environment. They're highly regulated on one side, they have investors on the other side for the most part that they have to answer to. And at the same time, they have to maintain high reliability and low cost for all customers. And I think they generally do that like pretty well. We have relatively cheap electricity. Prices haven't gone up that much in the United States over the past few decades. Reliability is quite high. I mean, there are you know outages, but outage management has gotten better and better. If you look at what's happened when there have been hurricanes um, over the past couple of decades, for example, FPNL's response time has gotten better every single time. I mean, you can you know talk about the limitations of utilities, and certainly they have them. But utilities, I think, have a huge advantage just in that they are they're proven able to do the thing that's going to be hardest to replicate and the thing that I think a lot of the new entrants don't want to get near, right? Like if you're in the market trying to avoid becoming highly regulated, as for example, Amazon and Google are, why would you want to go enter one of the most regulated businesses in the country? So I think utilities have that Advantage that is really strong and going to be hard to overcome. They also obviously have other incumbency advantages, like they are currently um, the ones who sell electricity to customers. And so they have customer data and customer relationships and a brand. um, And a brand that's that's generally relatively well trusted, as as a lot of data shows. But I think the biggest one for them is they know how to run the system.
0: Utilities are like the wrestler who's won the championship belt for many years in a row, but is just slightly past their prime, and all the the young guns are, are aiming for that championship belt. But you're right, utilities, uh, they have a real serious advantage here because this is their business. This has been their business for over a century. They've got the infrastructure, they've got the data, they've got the customer relationships, And they have the lobbying power, quite frankly. They know how the regulation works. They know how the markets work. And that is an area, like you mentioned with Amazon, that a lot of competitors are gonna have to work hard to understand, and it's still an open question about whether how much they wanna get into that business in the first place.
1: Right, and I think that utilities, broadly speaking, have earned the trust of customers, policymakers, and regulators they've spent a long time showing that they're trying to keep the lights on they're trying to keep costs down now you can debate that all you want but they've they've you know been in that game for a very long time if you had some totally new entrant come in and say no trust me i'm going to maintain high levels of reliability they wouldn't have the credibility that utilities have today
0: let's go over to oil majors now Uh, what are the advantages that the oil majors have shale So I think the
1: biggest one in terms of the advantages oil and gas companies have in electricity are, one, they have a long time horizon. This is something that utilities have as a strength as well, I should note, but is shared by oil and gas companies, right? They're used to making investments that will pay off in 10 or 20 years as they go around and do exploration and invest in capital infrastructure. So they can think over the long term. They have an enormous balance sheet. Their balance sheet you know, dwarfs that of most utilities. So they have more money to deploy. Um, And because they don't have this incumbency, you know, they have the ability to pick and choose where they want to play. So they can decide just to play on the retail side or decide just to play in generation or strategically pick off other assets. So they can come in and pick up what they think is the most valuable part of the chain. Arguably, they also have a brand Um, that means something with customers. I don't know how strong that brand is and how much it will translate into the electricity business, but they do have one.
0: Yeah, that's right. So my list here is that oil majors have – so much capital availability that they can make whatever move they want. That gives them market-moving power, both brand power and capital power. They have extraordinary engineering talent, and they also have huge trading teams as well, which could serve them well in power markets. So over to the automakers and mobility companies. Again, two different sets of players that we're lumping together, but what are their cumulative strengths, Shale? Shale. To be honest with you, I'm having
1: trouble coming up with some really good ones here.
0: Me too. <laughs> I had such a hard time. <laughs>
1: right. I mean, well maybe that tells you something. The automakers just, you know, I don't I don't get what inherent advantage they would have in the electricity business except that they're going to be selling the vehicles and the vehicles will need charging infrastructure. So, sure, they can they can sell charging infrastructure or partner up to provide it. Beyond that point, I don't know what advantage they have. The Ubers and Lyfts of the world, you know, if they're the network operators over the long term, then maybe, as we said before, they're going to have visibility into and control over a big source of electricity demand. And so they can play with that. They can aggregate that and play in the markets. But I just don't see how they go beyond that.
0: Well, the automakers have really strong technical know-how and manufacturing capabilities. So if they want to enter into partnerships with battery manufacturers or get into battery manufacturing themselves, they have the ability to do that. Of course, we've seen with, for example, their Mercedes-Benz effort to sell residential battery storage, it's hard to say how they can turn that into a downstream electrification business. But they do have that technical know-how, which, of course, counts for something. And then the mobility companies have all our data, and they have um, access to massive amount of customers. So again, when you want to control those electrified fleets of vehicles or autonomous vehicles, then you have all that data and you have the fleet already in place. So those to me were the big advantages. Well, to the last uh, competitors, the tech companies, Amazon, Google, and Apple, what are the advantages that they bring to the table?
1: So I think there are two areas of advantage. One is relatively weak and one is relatively strong to me. The weak one is that they are big buyers of energy and they will be increasingly big buyers of energy, right? If like the world is gonna be powered by data, then these are the companies that are gonna have the data centers. They are going to be enormous customers of electricity and they've already proven that they are willing to dedicate Uh, people and effort to being sophisticated purchasers so they will control a a big chunk of demand and maybe where that demand comes from Eh, to me that doesn't seem like it's a big inherent advantage they're just going to be big customers at the end of the day and they may have you know special requirements for that power but it doesn't make them a big competitor in the market the other place where i think they have a stronger case is on the customer side um, like we talked about they're, you know, in this, what is, what is much more of a real battle royale than the one that we're talking about, which is the battle for the smart home, you know, Amazon and Google each have their own smart home ecosystem and they're trying to, to compete for dominance in that space. And as they do that, electricity is undeniably going to be a big part of it. They have, um, enormous, Marketing capabilities, they have a lot of devices already in the home, they have the customer relationship and the brand, they have data on us beyond what anybody else has, including the electricity company. So, to the extent that they want to be selling energy services and then perhaps layering in additional value through controlling those energy services, you know, they've got a strong case to make there.
0: Yeah, and because they have that massive customer base, they can flip a switch and suddenly dominate some kind of service. So now I I, want to, well, I guess we can come
1: back to this in weaknesses, but I I think um, they can flip a switch and sell a lot of things. That seems true and clear to me. It is not at all clear to me that they can flip a switch and dominate the market for, say, load control for residential thermostats.
0: Not entirely clear to me. That's true. But Amazon could potentially dominate in the contractor business. Right? If they can get someone to come over and set up my patio furniture and my grill or do some basic services for me based on something that I've bought, why can't they get an energy efficiency contractor over to my house? Why can't they start dominating in lead generation for solar power? They have so much customer data. I agree with you that interaction with electricity markets is very different, but they can certainly sell me more products and more contracting services around those products. And that to me feels very meaningful.
1: That's definitely possible. And in fact, you know, Amazon has built up this Amazon Home Services business, which is trying to do exactly what you described. I just don't think, I think we have a tendency, especially with Amazon, to assume when Amazon enters a business, it will win. And that is true of a lot of things, but it's not always true. Um, They they have tried to do things that haven't worked, and you know you got to keep in mind these are big companies. Um, They've got lots of divisions that don't necessarily talk to each other. They're not perfect, right? You know, so selling leads is a good example. Google has Project Sunroof, and they've had Project Sunroof, which is, you know, was originally a lead gen engine for residential solar. They've had it for a very long time, and it still exists, and it still generates. Leads and uh, you know I think they've transitioned it a bit and so it's it's no longer trying to be monetized that way and uh, but you know it didn't take over the
0: market which brings us to weaknesses. Um, we'll go through the list again and talk about how each of these competitors may be hindered by their own inherent weaknesses. And I guess I'll start um, with utilities because I want to get your response to you know my thoughts on on this particular competitor. Utilities obviously have a lot of incumbent advantages, but those advantages can be distinct disadvantages as well. As an incumbent, you tend to be much more conservative and utilities certainly have a more conservative culture, particularly regulated utilities. Um, They are guided by regulation. So although they know the regulatory environment well and have wield a lot of lobbying power, they also rely a lot on regulation. And when you're building your business by the book, it can cause you to overlook other competitors who may circumvent regulation for a while before you know regulators catch up to the threat. And, of course, utilities are just not great with new technology, which is why you have an investment firm like EIP bringing together utilities as limited partners to give them access to new and emerging technologies, to give them better information on these competitive partnerships are threats. And, you know, utilities need those tools because they are inherently limited in their ability to adopt and adapt to new technology. Your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I was going to say something pretty similar. I was, you know, going to say that their strengths can also be their weaknesses. And as I mentioned before they're hyper focused as they should be on maintaining low cost and high reliability for customers and if that's their hyper focus then you know sometimes it'll crowd out more innovative more out there ideas and if any of those ideas catch hold then the utilities sometimes can be somewhat slow to adopt them and similarly as you described you know they're they understand the regulatory construct they operate within it um, but that also provides some you know, some walls, um, that they, they tend to live within. So I think that utilities, broadly speaking, or at least the ones that we work with at EIP, they recognize this. They have a desire to, to be more innovative. They have a desire to figure out exactly how to operationalize that within the organizations. And so they're working on it. But I do think that to the extent that they have a disadvantage, it's, it's pretty much the flip side of their advantage.
0: So oil majors, um, you know, oil majors like Shell are get increasingly getting into retail electricity services. But I guess I'm not entirely clear on how electrification, how this type of service squares with their traditional oil and gas business. It just feels so far removed from what they do today. Um, I wonder how effective they will be at competitive electricity supply. Also, I think these companies do suffer from some pretty bad PR problems, and it's unclear to me how that hurts their image with consumers and potentially influences their business. That's an unknown to me, but seems like a weakness worth mentioning. So
1: I think your first point is a, is a really strong one about how does this new business jibe with their existing business? There are a bunch of ways in which it, it's an odd fit. I think if you think about the core competency of most oil and gas super majors, it is long time horizon, major capital expenditure projects that pay out dividends over a long period of time. That's not really what the electricity business is. And in fact, I think you can kind of see this if you look at the first moves that a lot of these companies made in electricity, they're getting involved in um, development of utility scale renewable projects. You know, Offshore wind is the, is the closest thing in electricity to what the, util- the oil and gas companies are really clearly good at. But when you get further downstream, Either on the T and D side or on the customer side, it, it isn't clear to me that that's sort of their core competency. So they have to build that up, and that's a, it's a new thing. The other way in which it seems to me to be a slightly odd fit that they're going to have to reckon with over time is that, generally speaking, it's not as profitable. You know, they're operating with um, really strong margins. They throw off just a ton of cash through their core business, and as they enter the electricity sector, the returns are lower. And right now, I think they get away with it because it's a small chunk of their business. Even Shell, right? Shell spends $25 billion a year in CapEx and is spending $1 to $2 billion a year in its new energies business, which is basically power. So when that's the ratio, it doesn't have that big an impact in dragging down your overall returns. But as that starts to transition, are they going to be able to adeptly manage a world in which either, one, they find more profitable opportunities in the power sector, which is big question mark, or two, um, they're less profitable overall? And will investors not revolt when that happens?
0: Back over to the most confusing topic and the hardest one for me, automakers and mobility companies. Um, For me, the the big weaknesses for automakers are just that they, they aren't actually that innovative. They're slaves to consumer behavior. They put out incremental products based on last year's demand for automobiles. They keep putting out variations of the same models over and over. It took them so long to reinvest in electric vehicles. And although we've seen some pretty good models come out, you start to see some companies roll back their efforts in electrification in favor of yet another truck model, yet another SUV model. And they, they don't move markets in the way that you really need to see them move markets in the electrification business. They're also, I think, both automakers and mobility companies like Uber and Lyft in the future are going to be slaves to regulation. So if we actually think of them as managers of big electric autonomous fleets – well, sure, that could be promising, but it's dependent on a lot of things going right. And so that future seems so much more precarious than some of the other futures that we're painting for the other competitors. Um it feels to me like the the end game is not entirely clear for automakers or mobility companies.
1: Yeah. With this one, I, I guess I didn't I didn't think of that many particular weaknesses for the automakers and the transportation companies. I just don't have any strengths for them. So I just don't know why they would be in this
0: business
1: (laughs) in general. And maybe they won't be, right? Maybe save for Tesla, that's not ultimately going to be the intent. But to the extent that they, they start creeping toward being in the electricity business, I just think it's a strategic mistake.
0: And finally, to the tech companies. I think they have some pretty serious weaknesses. The biggest weakness being that they haven't actually created products that have a meaningful impact on energy, even though they've been – Apple and Google in particular have been experimenting with home energy management for 10, 11, maybe even 12 years. And they just haven't created physical products that have captured people's imaginations. In fact, Google had to acquire Nest in order to make a significant play into the smart home and home energy management. Um, and then, of course, the Nest team has helped work on the Google Home device. So Google had to do that through acquisition, which I guess speaks to one of its strengths, that it can start acquiring companies if it wants to move in a particular market. But they haven't done anything that spectacular on the energy side. And and I just, um, I, I don't know. I think that there's not been a very good track record here. And they're probably more interested in a lot of other stuff beyond energy. Energy will continue to be a side thought. And the question is, do they do they dominate just because the smart home becomes so big and they tack it on, it, it's a meaningful market? Or does it fall by the wayside? The other big issue is just privacy, privacy concerns. And long term, whether these companies actually get broken up. And if they get broken up by regulators, does that negatively influence the energy the emerging energy portion of their business that is just a complete unknown perhaps not a weakness but the privacy concerns and the competitiveness concerns feel like a pretty major regulatory risk
1: yeah i agree with those i think as i mentioned before they are fighting regulation tooth and nail within their own sector so why would they want to go get into a sector that's even more highly regulated already besides selling smart home products to customers i'm not sure it's really what they want to do i don't i don't know that they want to be in the business of you know building virtual power plants and controlling load and selling electricity bills and and so on Um, And, and, you know, as I said before, it's a hard business, uh, and I think they'll be better at doing other things. So I think they're going to have to reconcile the fact that what they they clearly do have ambition for, which is to own the smart home and the hub that controls the smart home, they're going to have to reconcile the fact that 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 has an electricity component to it, um, undoubtedly and will always And so they're going to have to have some relationship to energy, but I don't think that ultimately there's going to be some boardroom decision at Google or at, at Amazon that says, you know what, because of that, we want to go full bore into the energy business. We want to do all the home energy management and all the load control, and then maybe we'll move upstream and get into distribution or, or whatever it's going to be. I just, I think they're never going to decide that. So I think what's going to end up happening is they're going to sell all these devices and then they they may partner with somebody else who does the back-end interaction with the grid. They may partner with somebody who does the front-end energy-oriented interaction with the customer. But I don't think that they're going to end up trying to get into the utilities business. At worst, they may end up trying to take the utilities customer relationship.
0: So then, folks, who is going to dominate this market? Domination could mean many different things, as we have tried to outline. Will it be dominating the consumer's attention? Will it be dominating actual grid services? Will it be dominating fleets of electrified devices and vehicles? So, Shale, we have to pick one. Who are you choosing? Utilities,
1: obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, I knew that was But coming. Look, Yeah, well, but I do believe it. I think so. Utilities know how to operate this network. What's coming over the the next couple of decades is the biggest transformation of this network that we've seen in a century and it's going to make it harder to operate not easier right you're going to have to manage intermittent renewables with flexible load and energy storage and all these new resources and electric vehicles that's going to make it more and more challenging who's best positioned to do all that while maintaining reliability and low cost utilities so i think utilities you know to the extent that there will be a dominant player they will remain the dominant player now i think there are two possible exceptions to that um one is I do think it's possible that Amazon, Google, the tech companies basically do end up owning the smart home. And by owning the smart home, they they sort of cleave off a portion of the utility's customer relationship. I think that is possible, and utilities need to think about how much that matters to them and, and be careful about that. And the second exception that I can imagine is that if oil and gas companies really do decide that they want to be vertically integrated in the electricity business, I think they'll just start buying utilities. We've actually seen a lot of M&A in the utility space in the United States, but it's basically just been utility holding companies buying other utilities. Um, I don't think there's a reason why an oil and gas company couldn't just be the buyer in the future. And so does that mean the oil and gas companies end up winning? Maybe, but it would be because they own utilities.
0: But do you think that utilities really can evolve into meaningful service providers or will they just become default? poles and wires companies. I think that they'll win just because they can manage the infrastructure well, and they'll eventually throw up their hands and say, well, uh, we can figure out how to monetize our customer relationships, but let's just take care of the infrastructure that we have and make it better and uh, firm it up for extreme weather events and get paid for, for managing that th- those poles and wires.
1: I think they will definitely do that. And in many cases, we'll also figure out ways how to improve their customer relationships and customer engagement and change the generation mix. I think it, that won't be universal. Um, and that's where it's going it's to depend on how far, how progressive utilities are and how much they adapt to changing circumstances. But, but I do think that they're capable of that.
0: I suppose this brings us to one gaping hole in this competitive matchup, which is what, what about the third-party solar companies or distributed energy providers, these, these, this broad range of startups that are going to create this dispersed competitive threat? We haven't really talked about them.
1: Yeah, I guess I don't think of them as much as a competitive threat in this business these days. I think of them as um, potentially ultimately being a resource in the market. So if you are a distributed energy company that has a bunch of residential batteries under control for example then you're a resource that can play in the market but you're not you're not competing necessarily for the big pie here. I don't think any of them intend to.
0: Well, I'm going to have to agree with you on the utility side. I definitely think utilities are going to emerge victorious. They will be different. <laughs> I probably think they're going to be more focused on infrastructure management than anything, but they come to the table with a a, a very difficult to beat set of advantages, and that is they're the incumbent with a significant lobbying power, huge amounts of capital, an understanding of the dynamic regulatory environment, really strong customer relationships. just a a wide range of things that these other companies would have to spend so much money to compete on uh, or just wouldn't attempt to compete on. So I think utilities have it here for their advantages. With that said, they're going to look very different and they're probably going to be more like infrastructure management companies. And that's why I think it's probably a draw. If I'm picking among these four competitors, it's probably a draw with the tech companies because the tech companies are now creating devices that are wildly popular, going into people's homes, and probably circumventing that traditional relationship that the utility has with its customers. So they are now emboldened by these new customer relationships and could potentially evolve third-party energy services that are competitive with the utility. So they're going to work together, and they're going to be opposed to one another, but probably utilities and tech companies are my top choices for winning this grudge match. So does that mean that we agree?
1: <laughs> I think we mostly do. Um, I guess I'm I'm not as convinced of the strengths of the tech companies as you are in electricity, but yeah, I think we're we're basically on the same page.
0: And that marks the end of this round. This is only the beginning, though. We're in for many years of matches between these fearsome competitors. Who knows? They might not go head to head, but eventually we're going to see a lot of crossover here, so we'll keep tuned to it. Uh, who do you think is going to emerge victorious? Who's your favorite to win this battle royale? Tweet at us at Interchange Show or hit up me or hit up Shale right there on Twitter. And don't forget to write us a review on Apple Podcasts. We are choosing our favorite review, and handing that person a prize better than any world championship fight belt, a free subscription to GTM Squared. You're going to get conference calls with editors, free live streams to our events, uh, data from our research team packaged by the editorial team, deep dives on all sorts of topics. uh, Certainly a good deal. And all you have to do is spend a couple of minutes creating a really nice, creative review on Apple Podcasts. All right, we're calling it, folks. Shale, thanks for your insights and commentary. Likewise. With Shale Khan, I'm Stephen Lacey. This is The Interchange, a production of Green Tech Media and Postscript Audio. We'll catch you soon.